Hi there. Welcome to Tech Talk Weekly. Did you have any puzzles you haven't been able to figure out and solve? Did they take you 500 years to figure it out? This is our weekly show where we talk about three to four interesting tech topics in the news, get you on your way in about 20 minutes. If there's any kind of story you'd like to see covered next week, Creation Station at Broward.org comes right to me. This week, I am lucky to have Dr. Tamika Hobbs, the new person in charge of African-American Research Library and Cultural Center for us. How are you doing today, Tamika? I'm great, Bob. Great to be here with you. So tell us a little bit about who you are, what you're doing out there with Arlick. Sure. As you said, I'm the library regional manager for the African-American Research Library and Cultural Center. Um, it's really an exciting time for me to be coming in. Of course, last year, Arlick except, uh, celebrated its uh, 20th anniversary. And um, so uh, we are a cultural center on the first floor circulating library with a focus on uh, African and African-American literature on the second floor with books uh, that people can check out, both adults and children. And then what makes us one of the flagship institutions here for Broward County Libraries is our special collections, uh, or also known as an archive, uh, where we keep uh, really rare and special material related to uh, individuals and periods in our past. So that includes everything from a collection of the television star Esther Roll, who's a native of Broward County from yeah. up in Pompano, to unpublished manuscripts of uh, Alex Haley, uh, photographic collections, record collections, uh, yeah. you name it. We have a little We have got to be the only library out there with an Emmy. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, crazy stuff. And I've got a story for you that's going to come up later on. It's going to be right in that whole idea. But first, the first, this is one of those fun stories that you find in the news. And I just wanted to share it with everybody. Um, turns out, if you've ever just like looked at those bubbles in your glass, whether it's champagne, whether it's just water, whatever it is, you have bubbles in your glass that are just bubbling up from the bottom. And you've seen those and you've, maybe you've wondered, why did they move around? What did they do? Did you ever play around with those, Tamika? Um, yep. Fascinated by them, of course. Um, everybody loves a good fizzy drink every now and then. There right? we go. And so Leonardo, <laughs> um, he came up with this small little sketch back 500 years ago as he was trying to figure out why don't bubbles go in a straight line? If they're just bubbles, they should just go right up. Well, it turns out that that's a lot more complicated than it sounds. So I've got a link here for you. And it has got all of the math and explanations you could possibly want on why bubbles don't go in a straight line. But it's really pretty simple to see. I've got one diagram I'm going to show. Let's find it again. Do, 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 do. Here we go. Basically, it's the curvature of the bubbles. So you can see here on the left, if your bubbles are almost perfectly round, you have very little pressure, very little curvature change. And as soon as they get slightly out of sync on shape, you start getting all these wonky things. And then that's the pressure of the water as it's trying to push up through the water or whatever liquid it is. That's what makes it curve back and forth as it's trying to force its way up through those pressure waves. 
It's pretty cool for me. I, I am a historian by training. And so um, that's one thing about interpreting the past. There's always some jewels, some nuggets, some expansion that can develop. Uh, and I, I think this is so neat that they were able to go back and actually do the math uh, around. Yeah. That. Yeah. The yeah. math is yeah. way more than I want to do. <laughs> this this is not my kind of thing. I'm more for the cool word. story, not for the in-depth math. But I'm sure there's some math geeks out there that are like, oh, wow, where, where'd they get this? Yeah. Go look at those numerical simulations all you want later on, folks. Um, another thing that fits right into what I do around the library system, and if you've been out um, to our Miramar library in the last couple, uh, in the last week or so, we have our robot out there, our Temi robot. Japan is rolling out all sorts of new four-wheeled robots that will just go around on the streets. They're totally unrestrained, able to go around and do things. Um, I do kind of like the idea that they've got them with voices now. Mm, that's pretty cool. I, I mean, it's an interesting conundrum when you think about the changes and what this could mean for employment and service workers. But I have to say it's kind of comfor comforting to think that a robot could bring me my food without eating my fries on the exactly. way Exactly. So, Isn't it? There's See, that. Perfect. You've got the perfect reason why we need to bring more of these out there. It can... <laughs> it's really nice. And the, one of the comments in the article here about they've used these in Japan just to sell things, just to have them going around in like an open fair or whatever and sell stuff out of there. It's a different culture, but still people are just, they feel better about buying from the robot because they don't feel pressure that they have to buy a certain number of snacks or anything. Or if they just say no, they can walk away and not have to interact. And it's, mm -hmm. Well, that's fair. I think that I get that because I, I do um, recognize that I prefer uh, the, the latest thing that I've encountered is at restaurants with the QR codes. You can sit at the table, order your food and just have it brought to you. You can pay for it. You can order more without the sometimes awkward interpersonal interaction right. that can take place. Um, and not having and, to know, tell the person no. And sales is a lot about... Um, Sales is about rejection. And so yeah. you don't want to have that feeling of rejection. You don't have to worry about that with a robot. So I completely get that. Just be nice to your robot servers, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of being nice, you would have never thought about it, maybe. But scientists don't always play nice with each other. And we've I got a, a, different, a second story on here about this, too, for us. But basically the idea is how much, how often should you be able to hoard information that you make as a scientific discovery and keep it for yourself versus sharing it with the rest of the world and helping everyone like our bubble thing there. They did all their research, they found it and released it. So we've got these big space telescopes out there. James Webb, we covered that on this show last year while it was going I up a lot. I love the Webb telescope Isn't it? images. Isn't it? I, there's a backdrop for my screensaver. Oh, nice. um, it's part of the inspiration for our Afro-Fantastic exhibition we're planning oh, for the summer. That's that's going to be a phenomenal thing. Yeah, we're going to have fun with that one. Um, and that isn't that, but see, and we would be missing out. Mm-hmm. And it's only because NASA's in control of this telescope that they're forcing some new rules on people to say, no, you've got six months and that's it. 
and mm-hmm. you have to start releasing these things. So, and this article here goes into a little bit of why is it a hard sell sometimes to convince people that they have to share. Um, and they point out they made this change during Hubble and everybody made a big stink about it and then just kind of shrugged their shoulders and went ahead. And this here is an article that came out today um, uh, that fits this perfect thing. I don't know if you saw this article hit your news feeds at all. Brand new planet, brand new rings around a planet that's not supposed to exist and da 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 da. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, they is found that, this in, is that in, in our system or another? It's system? in our system. It's in the. Uh, it's out just past Pluto. Get um, out. It's a. It's a. It's smaller than Pluto, so it's 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 a dwarf planet. But they started making these observations in 2018, and finished in 2021, and it's now 2023 when we're just finding out about this. Mm. because they wanted to keep their data. Now, partially, I fully get that. Keep your data to yourself because you want to make sure you've got the right information. You want to know what's going on with it. But... Yeah, I get get it, right? Coming from an academic background, there is a a bit of a proprietary issue around these discoveries. Everybody wants to be the first because there's so much that's associated with that from your tenure and promotion, to book sales. But what was really convincing for me in the, in the article was that these are taxpayer dollars yeah. that, that people are using and that they ought to be put into the public domain for the public good and other researchers. So, Yeah, and, and that planet discovery was done with EU telescopes. The, the European Union telescopes are so slightly different than the web one. But you bring that, that's where I want to get you. You're the academic here on this. And my next story is going to feed into this too. What do you think that where do you think the line is for research slash discovery versus put it out there for the public and let the masses, you know, the 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 idea of let all these other people go and research it and find out and or it's um it's a tricky one. I think the other thought I had about that is um that is an argument for more sharing is the fact that there are more brains, more eyes looking at this means that there are multiple perspectives um, and there may be a chance that you have more discoveries sooner. It's, uh, but I don't know. I think some of, so much of this is attached to sometimes profit ego and the personal benefit um, that comes from being uh, the first to to yeah. uh, name these things, find these things. But in some areas, I think in healthcare, and I think when it comes to the study of space, that there is an argument to be made about the public good uh, and the good for science superseding the personal benefits for some yeah. things. Yeah. Let's do a whole nother show on patent and medicine stuff. (laughs) Oh, man. But I wanted to bring that up because I found this really interesting story that doesn't seem to fit your theme. But it but I just saw this. I'm like, wait a minute. I know this is going to be an interesting talk with her. So Meta is shutting down a a smaller version of something called Echo VR. It was a Echo VR is a metaverse type game thing that. It's been out for years and years and years and years. I mean, it's this is like a 2019, which in 
know, VR terms is, you know, pretty ancient. Um, they announced last week that they're just going to shut it down in April, in August. Done. Turn off the servers. No, you don't get the chance to export any of your stuff. No, you don't get a chance to save any of your stuff. No, you can't do this. Um, and I thought it was interesting for two reasons. One, it the usership fell into the low 10,000s. After the announcement? No, no. That's why they announced. Because uh, they that, had the low 10,000s of people using it. Okay. I wonder what it was at, a, at, a, at, the, at its height. Did it say? Uh, no, they, uh, at its height, it wasn't very much higher. Than, it, was, it was a little bit higher, but not significantly higher. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you're still dependent upon uh, VR headsets and everything to be able to use it. So that, that base has ne it's the biggest it's ever been now So over the years. But the, this article goes into talking about um, what's there, how you would do it. I also linked into the full idea of the person who created it, the, per the president of the company who had sold this to Meta, to Facebook back then, and who, which became Meta, and finding out what happens there and talking about what is the better thing to do is it to just kill it and like rip the bandaid off? Just, okay, we're going to be done here now. Is it that you let it continue along and kind of limp along and limp along and just not support it. And then when it finally breaks, it breaks mm -hmm. or some other thing in between. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts immediately go to kind of the, the thrift store model, right? When I'm done with something and it still has some use or could be some use to someone else, I think about passing it along. Um, you know, one man's trash, one woman's trash is another woman's yeah. treasure, as the case may be. Um, or, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of putting it in the public domain um, is another, you know, possibility to allow the people who are really invested in it yeah. to to maintain it and take care of yeah. it. It's and, a lot of different and, ways. Yeah. Sounds and, like they're going to be thousands of disappointed people. Yeah. And the article gets into a, a good chunk of that whole open source, whether you could just pull this code, put it up on a GitHub, GitHub or a server to let other people download and use and create and how much of it is proprietary information versus you know, what, what you could do in that. But this comes up to the idea for you of what, what are we going to archive <laughs> out of this? What's, what are we going to be allowed to keep and archive and do these things? Because it's hard enough as it is when it's digital, you know, and I've talked with archiv archivists out there before too, about, you know, we're approaching this big black hole where we have physical papers and we have physical photographs and we're coming up to this well it was on betamax and we can't we don't even have a heck we don't have vhs machines anymore let alone betamax to mm -hmm. be able to retrieve the last when i worked at the library of virginia i i had more of these conversations with the archival team and the tech team there and it was all about this digital digital not only the preservation right like how do you keep emails and this was really important because they were the state archives and repository for the Virginia state government, Commonwealth of Virginia. So they were mandated and they had put in place protocols to collect emails from administrations to um, maintain that. And even when you take it in, you have to worry about what they call digital migration. 
yeah. as the formats change, yeah. making sure that everything is rolled forward. So there is no, um, uh, they don't have to worry about technology becoming obsolete. Get into these more expansive uh, technologies like AI and VR. That's a yeah. entirely different question. And then you add in, you know, the power uh, that is necessary, the energy that is necessary, the carbon imprint that is left yeah. as you're trying to preserve more and more of this content. It's a really, really complex question, but we're going to need to answer that. I think for us, we just took in the Love Thornell Black Photography Collection here, 1300 images uh, of early photography representing African-Americans. Um, and I often joke that it is the early version of, of Instagram, you know, the yeah. way that people are presenting themselves. But in that comparison, what you realize is that we are generating so many more images. And in my phone alone, like I have to pay for storage because they just accumulate with, and without thinking. And it's been, you know, I have things going back all the way back to 2008, you know, and it's like, what do you do with that much content for one person, yeah. much less millions of people? Yeah, all those photos that we're taking on our phones and are uploading. The, I mean, I have probably a terabyte worth of information. I mean, between all of my files. I and mean, I have, uh, for a game that I run every Friday night, I have five gigabytes worth of information just in that one folder that I have access to it with just a click of a mouse to grab and throw up and show people. But yeah. And, and how do you transfer that stuff over and, and things like that? And that's, do you think we library who's responsible, I guess, for that in a, in a way, because libraries, obviously we want to try and archive everything, but we can't, even the library of Congress cannot archive everything. Right. And I think that, you know, it's a conversation between historians and um, an archivist, right. In terms of having some type of understanding of what will be necessary to tell the story, the part, the part, you know, what our focus is on even in these moments is how can we preserve, what can we preserve that will be the best representation for the future of these contemporary moments? Yeah. It just keeps getting more and more complex. And I think, you know, uh, I think there's a real space. I, I, you know, as this moves forward, the field is going to change um, when we think about archival training. And I mean, for me, it was oral history at museums. It was, you know, paper was really the main consideration. Fast forward four years later, they were having conversations about storing emails and documenting websites. Uh, there needs to be more of an integration and conversation between the perspectives of folks in the history field and the library field and the archival field mm -hmm. and the tech field. I think it's uh, going to be some exciting changes to the discipline. Yeah. Um, and colleges and universities, that, that's really where we need to be having these conversations and in, in, in pipeline and in, in the academy to help us figure out these. And these. just wait till we start using the AI to take those old tr and transcribe into it. Old, we wrote it down because it was an old oral tradition. And now we can make it back into an oral tradition with an AI voice. And mm. we are going to. We are living in the future, and it's going to be an interesting one for us to figure out how to uh, make sure the truth is still there behind all this. Uh, well, and, you know, there are all types of conversations, uh, because even with technology, if we're not conscious of it, even our biases will read into the technology. Mm -hmm. There are 
experts in this field uh, of race and technology. And yeah. so that we have to be very uh, mindful of those things as well. It's been, yeah. Thank you so much for being here to because I knew you were the right person for this week. This is we, just fun stories, isn't it? I appreciate your confidence in me, oh, Bob. Always, always. <laughs> And if there's anyone, let me throw up our final slide here. If there's a library or a librarian you'd like to see featured on the show one week, email us, creationstation at broward.org. And as always, never worry. All those links are going to be in the chat for you. You have a great day, everyone. Thanks, Bob. Bye, everyone.